1: So he cares about what people think about us.
0: Yeah, I like the I like football season, all the things that go with it.
1: Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson and a very special guest, Ian Harditz from PFF. It is our number one fantasy analyst, number one in my heart, at least here at PFF. Hey so uh it's a new show it's a new uh a new deal extra
0: show every week why did we come in dressed the same i don't know Hmm.
1: i tried to mix it up yeah so what happened was i've got a uh, i don't know if our viewers have noticed but i've got a rotation of like four collared shirts (laughs) that i use so now it's like oh we're up in the ante we've got an extra show per week it's on wednesdays now here we are and i was like i I gotta
0: now you gotta dip into the t-shirts i had
1: to i had to go into the to the pocketed 1995 t-shirt here that I have.
2: Okay. I'm impressed you guys can live with the t-shirts in this igloo of an office we have, which makes it <laughs> well, that pro- much tougher because it's humid as hell outside. Right,
0: that's the problem, right? <laughs> Is that you can cannot, you cannot have one or the other. You can't, oh, there's yeah. no outfit that the functions for both the outside and in the studio for any extended period of time. You
2: just gotta go
1: thermostats over there. You just go manipulate it a you little bit. You said no
2: outfit, but have we tried a sleeveless hoodie? If it works for Belichick. I'm no. Gonna... No,
0: I haven't haven't <laughs> rocked that for either. But yeah, maybe. I'm maybe. willing to t- I'm willing to take a look at that in the future. <laughs> I'm just saying this is Fleepless starting to get P- uh, a little bit concerning. Like between this and the fact that we both came up with the other the same random number for the absurd hyperbole Corey Davis target number of the season. Yeah. We both
1: in isolation made a Corey Davis joke that he was on pace for nine hundred targets this year. We both came up with the number nine hundred. I tweeted it and then he texted me the same number. I was like, What are you just mocking my tweet? He goes, No, this is <laughs> I hadn't even seen that.
2: I think I tweeted 250 in my mock. There record. you go. Everyone's happy. I'm just. We'll talk to get
1: about Corey Davis here. A little on the bit show. concerned
0: that we're blending into the same person now.
1: <laughs> so, Big Show. First off, like I said, PFF NFL Podcast. We're adding a third show. So during the season, you'll still get your review podcast, your preview podcast, but the midweek podcast is going to be a great way for us to get um, some other people for, here from PFF to just to just talk ball and mm-hmm. you know talk about whatever their particular expertise is. And in Ian's case, it is fantasy football it is fantasy football draft season dfs is always alive all of that stuff so we could talk about all of that through the lens of you know just a good football discussion
0: and you can hear him on the pff fantasy football podcast you know there are other podcasts outside of us steve at PFF. I know it's hard to believe, but they exist. And, well, as you know, the, as the big show well. here
1: at PFF, we're, we're here to promote. We're here to promote everybody else Whoop. and uh, and to push them.
0: Yes, exactly. One last piece of housekeeping before we actually start the podcast. We passed two thousand dollars, our goal in so like you five will, days. Right. You will. Bill's Mafia are there when it comes to charity drives and yes, you know, giving money to a good cause. So you will be wearing a Josh Allen jersey, signing the Josh Allen apology form. And that's it at some point soon. And However, that's no, that's it. Hold you on guaranteed a sum of money that if Didn't we reached, guarantee anything I, it's in i have text proof <laughs> that if we clear ten thousand dollars you will be thrown through a table after doing this not thrown through flaming a flaming table.
2: table or regular table
0: regular table i think a working table can we a go work... flaming for 15 no flaming table. <laughs> it's up to him he's the guy setting the prices you here. might get kicked off the
1: show here <laughs> in a minute
0: so bill's mafia you guys have come up amazing so far with the donations we're a fifth of the way there already. If we can get to 10k, a six foot ten, 280 ish pound human will be launched through a table wearing a Josh Allen jersey after signing the apology for. It. And frankly, who doesn't want to see that?
1: A very astute listener did point out: as a creeping back toward middle age, older guy, big guy with some back problems and four kids, maybe this isn't the best idea. <laughs> that maybe we don't need to push I mean, it.
0: Maybe not for you.
1: But for everybody else well thanks to everybody for uh for donating thanks to bill's mafia mostly because i think they did most of the dirty work so i will be signing the josh allen apology form wearing the get jer- i gotta order a jersey mm-hmm. josh allen and we'll see if you get to the stretch goal and we'll consider
0: 10k heroes, heroes
2: remembered. legends never die <laughs> the table Look, bump. somebody if, wants
1: the picture of me flying through the air. hell yeah there.
0: if you're well the, the, the uh the meme guy the pff podcast meme guy it's currently me in the idiot steve getup so frankly it needs to be replaced with you flying headlong through a table. Um so look, Bill's Mafia put it out there. Get right. it shared. Find the important find the rich people, find the people with lots of money at Bill's Mafia and get them donating cuz that's what we need like thurman thomas or something like call, yeah.
1: call thurman call andre reed
0: hell right? call josh allen he's got some money now
1: true maybe josh allen would want to see me go through a table <laughs> um ian does great work over at pff.com so now's a great time if you don't have access kick off 30 we have 30% off any pff subscription kick off three zero so you get your 30% off you can read all of ian's work you can get access to all of pff's fantasy tools for just seven bucks so let's get into the discussion i have, I have a I have a, just a general question about fantasy and how it's just evolved over the last mm. few years. How have strategies evolved? Is there, um, I do, because I want to talk about the football aspect of it, yep. but the strategy aspect of fantasy football, where is it right now here in 2021?
2: A couple easy notes. I mean, first of all, we have like two cheat codes that we can kind of try to draft, Russian quarterbacks, receiving running backs. That's why, you know, when Najee Harris gets drafted and Eric's in my ear about how bad the O-line is and how bad the offense is and all this. If we have a running back that catches passes, it's so hard for them to bust. Christian McCaffrey was pretty mediocre as a rookie, was averaging like three and a half yards per carry, was not living up to expectations. He was still a top 10 fantasy running back because when you catch that many passes, it's just hard to bust. Same thing with the Russian quarterbacks. It's why Jalen Hurts, someone that was maybe the worst passer in the league last year, is a top 10 fantasy quarterback. Cause he was also on pace to break the single season rush attempt record at the position. So target the dual threat guys, You know, nowadays, more than ever, I think you can get your starting running back, but after that, go heavy with the wide receivers. We just see all the injuries and just the lack of workhorses these days. In the year 2000, we had 19 running backs get at least 300 touches last year. Four. So it's wow. a different game, and you, you can get your, you know, your CMC, your Cook, your Henry early, but after that, give me all those receivers that we can more uh, respectfully project for 120 plus targets. And then, last thing I just note is we have had Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and now Darren Waller just take over that tight end position. And every year we talk ourselves into some late round guys, Adam Troutman, Anthony ferkser whoever it might be. And then by the time August comes around, we realize. Terrible idea. I wish I had one of those top tight ends. So try to get one of those top three guys the best you can, maybe get that anchor RB. And from there, load up on the dope ride receivers. Who let's
0: a huge amount of fantasy is is nailing those studs, but then you've got like the breakout guys. The guys are actually going to win leagues for you because you're the one that has them and nobody else saw it coming. Who are some of the the biggest breakout players you see coming this year? And let's talk about like why. Each one of those guys is going to break
2: out. Yeah, I mentioned Hurts at first, but it's just that that the rush attempts. And honestly, as bad as his numbers were, PFF passing grade, I think he had the single worst adjusted completion rate in the league. The guy still threw for three hundred yards in two games. I mean, Josh Allen couldn't say that until last year after his first two years of career. So
1: I mean, they're well, so they're going to run him. And they might be playing from behind yeah. quite a bit. So it's this combination, right? Like he's going to have
0: opportunities.
2: We don't care about style points. However yeah. the yards come, I mean, we'll take them there. And I and, think. And the uh, backup
0: is Joe Flacco. So it's not like there's any real incentive to at any point in the season, take him out. Like even if he plays badly, what do you gain from putting Joe Flacco in there? Particularly for the Eagles who, like in a way the worse Jalen Hurts plays, the better it is for them in the off season, right? Like they don't, they have zero incentive to ever make a switch if Jalen Hurts is playing badly this season.
2: I think some of the Watson rumors might have gotten people off the scent a little bit. But earlier in the offseason, Jalen Hurts was like a top eight fantasy QB because everyone was all in on the rushing. Now he's finally available in those later rounds. So I always say it, we don't hate players. We hate their average draft position, their ADP. I think Jalen Hurts is a good example. With wide receiver too, I think Deontay Johnson is someone who isn't going cheap, but people just look at the drops. Yeah. And as we see, you know, I know you're one of the bigger Jerry Judy stands out there. <laughs> Usually raw drop totals just tend to tell you someone that gets open more than. Someone someone that's actually bad at football. So, yeah, I I wish Deontay didn't drop as many balls. But also, like, we're penalizing him for this, where if we look at the last two years, we see DK Metcalf, Tyree Kill, Michael Gallup, all these other guys that are not getting, you know, discounted because of the drop issues. I know Pittsburgh's going to be running a slightly different offense. But with that said, we're still looking at their undisputed number one that I think can push for 150 targets. He's not being ranked that way.
1: I think he'll be the volume guy. I keep saying I think Chase Claypool is the most important player for the Steelers because he had he had flashes of that true number one. And they had a few games where they fed him, but Deontay Johnson's definitely the, the high volume type of guy, right? And I think both of them together, as much as we, as we haven't loved the Steelers team building process here, they changed the arithmetic there, right? If those guys are legit and Big Ben is better, the Steelers can be legit.
0: And the other thing about drops is that, like, there aren't that many guys that are consistently terrible when it comes to dropping passes. Like, there, there are a few of them, you know, Braylon Edwards. They're usually out of the league. Like, Greg Little just doesn't yeah, last, yeah. right? <laughs> right but the other thing is the ones that have bad hands you know relatively bad hands compared with people like Larry Fitzgerald or whatever those are the guys that just it fluctuates right you're gonna have a year where you drop like 18 passes and it's catastrophic and everyone's like wringing their hands over but the next year you'll drop like six right which is still not great but it's it's fine like it's not a problem particularly if you are really good at everything else like getting open and you know racking up the yardage so like one of those years where a guy like Deontay Johnson has a catastrophic number of drops or Jerry Judy or whoever it is, I, just, I think it's just sort of that's something to be aware of as the guy's floor. Yeah. It's not like this is where he's going to be every single year. Yeah. Like next year, he's probably going to bounce back, have half the number of drops, and you can add, you know, two, 300 yards to his total because of it.
2: That's what I looked at. I was like, okay. Let's look at the pass-drop leaderboards and is this a sign of bad things to come? No. I got to 2012. And, and last year, we had Deontay, Judy, DK Metcalf, guys with double-digit drops. Just a few guys in 2012 that had at least 10 drops. Jimmy Graham, Wes Walker, Calvin Johnson, Eric Decker, Brandon Marshall, Dez Bryant, Demarius Thomas, T.Y. Holton, Stevie Johnson. Good group. Yeah. Imagine fading those guys because they dropped too many passes right. in one year. Couldn't be me.
1: Now, part of, part of it's our fault at PFF because the PFF grade is grading your production and what you did on the field but the value of the pff grade is identifying what happened and then identifying the things that you would focus on looking forward and i think that's the bottom line right when you when you evaluate how well a guy played whether it's judy and all his drops last year deontay johnson you have to say he did a did a poor job of catching the ball at a high rate so therefore it's going to affect the grade but that's where like the stable measures and unstable measures come in and i think the bottom line for receivers uh, the skill of getting open is far more stable in the thing to focus on, whereas the skill of catching the ball, just yes or no, did you catch it, does just tend to fluctuate.
0: And there's also an aspect of like, are you, was it that big a problem that your team is going to go away from you because of it? Because that's where you get into the Greg Little issue, right? Now, okay, Greg Little wasn't great at anything else either, but the the issue there was the team very quickly went, okay, you're, you're so bad at catching the ball, you're no longer this sort of viable number one option for us. We're, it's not worth the time or the effort or the risk we put in to sending the ball your way. But that's not going to be the case, certainly for Jerry Judy in Denver, right? There's too much invested in him. He's too good at getting open. They're not going to look at those drops and say this isn't worth the juice isn't worth the squeeze here. Same thing's true with Pittsburgh at Deontay Johnson. Even if the drops stay at the same level, which they probably won't, he's still going to get a ton of volume. Still he's still got- going to get the production. Love
1: it. Absolutely. Who else you got? Anybody else from a breakout player standpoint? A
2: couple Dolphins receivers. Uh, one adage I like to point out is, you know, we want to take guys closer to their floors than their ceilings. You know, last year, Clyde Ebertsolaire busted on everyone because he was drafted as the fourth running back. And, you know, even though he finished top 20 when you picked him fourth, obviously, you know, he needed to really have a great season to come through with that. Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle are going outside the top 40 receivers in fantasy right now. Fuller, before he got suspended last year, was a top 12 guy. Jalen Waddle, number 6 overall pick, and for some reason he's just been completely shafted behind Devontae and Jamar Chase. So, I get it. You know, confusing pecking order with Tua. I don't think it's the highest upside passing game in the league, but when we can draft these guys again, just at their floor, I mean, it wouldn't surprise anyone. If both Fuller and Waddle can turn in top 20 seasons, we can get them at basically half that cost. So Waddle's been the really interesting one to me. There was a report on like August 3rd, Waddle goes up for a catch in practice, comes down hard, and the person said he took an extra minute to get up, resumed practicing, but made the point like, hey, can't afford an injury right now. I mean, no one can afford an injury like whenever. (laughs) Like, What the hell does that have to do with anything? He's been one of the best players at Dolphins camp, and it's almost like people think he walks with a limp, from what I can tell, man, like, he's always just kind of walked that way. Some guys are just a little bit <laughs> swaggier than others. So for me, like, to see the discrepancy between Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, and Jalen Waddle, I understand everyone had Chase high as the top-rated receiver coming out. That's fair. A lot of people, I think, had Waddle ahead of Devontae, or at least in that same tier, pretty close. They're in a similar position in terms of projected targets. I think everyone's sleeping on the number six overall pick, which is crazy to me. How do you think the Dolphins are going to use him?
0: Because that, to me, is an interesting sort of difference between the other two. That's the discrepancy,
1: right? I mean, I think one guy's perceived as a a low-volume deep threat. Devontae and Jamar Chase are like, oh, those guys are number one. Or Or even if it's not
0: a low-volume deep threat, it's a sort of almost a pure slot guy or a gimmick receiver it's the you Lim know. role that he yeah, used last yeah. Year. It, it's yeah. like there whereas Devontae Smith is clearly talked about already as being Philadelphia's best wide receiver, right? Yeah. They're gonna line him up wide. They're gonna give him all he's gonna be the number one, right? Jamar Chase, the same thing in Cincinnati if he ever stops dropping the ball um in preseason. <laughs> but with Waddle, it's a lot more up in the air. Like what is his role to be better than these guys? And that was always my question at draft time because you're right, there were a ton of people that had Waddle as the better Alabama receiver, which to me was madness because the track record of Devonte smith versus jalen waddle i think was night and day yeah. and even the people saying well when they were both there for the four and a half games or whatever it was this season waddle was getting more production i mean I, I don't think that was ever quite true but now when you look at it projected forward they certainly don't look to be projected for the same role and that's going to affect the production even if you think he's a better player
2: yeah, and you're not wrong. That's why Devonta Smith is going 20 wide receiver spots ahead of Waddle. Again, though, it's just the idea for me that you can treat Waddle as a wide receiver four in fantasy land when we don't know his role, but he's going to be starting in three yeah. wide receiver sets. Uh, again, buying the guy at the floor or ceiling. Look, like, I think even if he's the number three pass game option there, he could still – finish with his value as a wide receiver, 48. So certainly, you know, guys, Devontae Waddle, I get it. It'll all be cleared up. You know, next year in the future, dynasty, people don't have these problems. I'll just say in redraft, man, more than ever with these, uh, I just think we don't always see it. There's a John Ross bust situation. But if you take someone sixth overall, I'd like to think you have a plan for him. That's why everyone's so high on Kyle Pitts. Could he start the season behind Hayden Hurst? I'd really hope not, but I guess it's possible. But we assume that they're not going to do that because he just took the guy for. They ball. will feed those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And you the, mentioned, go ahead, Sam. Well, the
0: other thing with Waddle is that even if he gets pegged as this like slot guy who gets the occasional deep target and whatever, with the way Tua is right now, that might actually be a really important thing for his production, right? Because. He might be feeding the slot. That's what I mean. He's going to yeah. be feeding the slot. He's going to be feeding the tight ends. The one to worry about would be the outside receivers where he hasn't yet shown. The kind of propensity and the the guts I guess to push the ball consistently down the field.
1: That's where I'd be a little scared of Devonte Parker a guy that doesn't separate as well right. as the other guys and benefited from Yolo Fitzpatrick throwing him the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to talk Dynasty in a minute before before we get into that though I gotta give a shout out to our friends over at Fantrax. is free fantasy football league manager is the most customizable easy to use and feature rich platform in the entire industry and PFF is gearing up to play our leagues on Fantrax this year bonus points for touchdowns of different yardage the multi-team trades and of course importing your league from another site it's all at Fantrax. so you can f- uh, create a free account now using promo code pff at fantrax.com slash pff and get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league plus six thousand dollars promo code pff at fantrax.com slash pff you mentioned dynasty and no, no. I don't know why you're the you're the fantasy expert because I'm kind of dominant in oh, God. Dynasty. Mm. We have an Experts League. I don't oh. know why you weren't invited, but it was an Experts League that started about five years ago. I've won three out of the five years. Oh, In the two years, I eh, kind of lost in the finals, the other two. All of the Experts have fled. They're, they're, they, they left the Experts League. Um, So I'm not even going to ask your advice on Dynasty because I got it. Okay, I nailed it. But no, are there any? uh, My advice on I'll give you my advice: draft really well, even though it's a long-term league. Wow, draft really well. If you draft well, big talk. It almost doesn't even matter if you you know draft good college players in the future. Yeah, there's there's my advice. That's that's that's
2: great. Let's uh, do you have any?
1: any, uh, How much do you handle looking at redraft versus Dynasty versus? you know best ball is is huge now yeah. like how do those obviously dynasty versus redraft is a is a pretty clear yeah. um uh, distinction what about like uh best ball strategies versus other fantasy strategies.
2: Yeah, best ball, I would say, uh, you know, a lot of times when people are doing that, we're entering this like million dollar tournament where you're not just trying to beat 10 of your friends, you're trying to beat hundreds of thousands of entries. So that's when you can get really contrarian and we can talk about these different strategies where we have people posting their lineups where Ronald freaking Jones is the first running back drafted and they're almost pointing this out like as a sense of pride. And if you looked at that from a redraft standpoint, you'd be like, what the hell is that line? You almost have to
0: have like a ridiculous team in order to have any shot of winning those. Exactly, it's like that that draft that we got conscripted into with Chris, where it's yeah. the idea is to draft the worst possible <laughs> team. The team like with the lowest number of points at the end of the season wins. Yeah. But you almost need that for a, a best ball because those are the only. That's the only way you're going to win versus a million people is if you hit the absurd combination of like injury luck, randoms coming out of nowhere. You know the the James Robinsons of the world. Like if you hit the sequence of twelve of those guys that works out and gives you this great team.
1: I have a question the the mental part of drafting okay because when we were doing that worst ball draft which you can hear all about on the Chris Collinsworth podcast this week how much can you play mental games with yourself because when I'm drafting players for normal leagues or for worst ball I'm sitting here picturing the scenario where like the best case happens and then the worst case scenario as well like I'm picturing these things so like Melvin Gordon right I could draft him in both of those leagues you could draft him in you know a normal league where it's like yeah he's a 20 carry guy and he'll hold off Javante Williams and then in the worst ball league you're like oh they just drafted a guy and they traded up to go get Javante Williams he's gonna get benched how much does that play in where you're picturing either the good or a bad for a player and it influences maybe whatever your rankings were whatever your initial feelings were
2: For the best balls, like, you want to look at that best-case scenario and almost just assume your entire team is going to have that best-case scenario. So some of the things that go along with that, you don't handcuff your running back. If I draft Ezekiel Elliott in round one, I don't take Tony Pollard in round 11 because in no way are both of those picks hitting. I'd rather have Zeke and then Alexander Madison because then maybe Zeke hits, maybe Dalvin gets hurt, best of both worlds. Um, So that's one factor. Not that we're rooting for injuries here never no, except not unless you're ball. playing <laughs> worst <Yeah>. ball, <laughs> yeah, case, yeah, that's, that's what ball.
0: you're cheering for all season long
2: but yeah just really again just trying to go for that first or last approach you know like rookie Bobby said once upon a time because you know we're not getting any sort of points for finishing in the middle of these leagues so yeah just optimizing as much as possible and trying to hit it big I think is where you can go and that's where you know I was saying like try, again try to draft closer to floor and ceiling so when you see guys like Corey Davis and Brandon Cooks down the way and they're just surrounded by a bunch of number three receivers it's like well we can get the number one pass game option there. It might not be sexy, uh, but it's, you know, probably more worthwhile to take a chance on Corey Davis versus a Michael Gallup, who, hey, you know, great receiver in his own right, don't have that same upside. Guys like James White, Giovanni Bernard, Naeem Hines, they're okay in redraft. They can give you that floor and you can mix in floor and upside, but like Giovanni Bernard... Rojo, Fournette, like Keyshawn Vaughn, could all get hurt, and he still very well could be a part of a yeah. committee. So, again, just all upside. What's the worst case scenario for the team, and how could this guy benefit from it?
0: Corey Davis, I think, is a good guy to talk about because we're in preseason right now, and we've gone, you know, months with no football whatsoever. So preseason happens, and it's something, right? It's something to talk about. It's something to overreact to. And We did the overreaction show um, on Monday, but Corey Davis, you know, signs the reasonable free agent contract. But I think everyone was still looking at that and going, okay, you know, he'll, he'll probably be the number one receiver there, but that that's not the same as being a number one, you know, somewhere where you know you have a star receiver. Yeah. So it's still going to look like sort of an important part of some kind of well-balanced, revamped receiving core in New York. Then we get to preseason, and Corey Davis is getting a target like 80% of the snaps <laughs> he's on the field, right? Like every time it's possible I told you. for Zach Wilson <laughs> to throw the ball to Corey Davis, he's doing it. So my question is, like, how much does preseason actually change your outlook on some of these things versus because it, it's one of the big things, right? Is how much does preseason matter? Right. And for obviously wins and losses, not at all. Yeah. Even projecting like performance into the regular season, not that much, according to the data. But how much does do things like that change your perception on what a guy is going to be?
2: The actual performance matters. Almost very little. As much as I love watching Felipe Franks, like, rip off a 50-yard <laughs> run in the third quarter, like, no, that doesn't actually matter for fantasy. It's mostly the first-team snap rates because those, in my opinion, are far more valuable than whatever PR intern put out their def chart in the first week of August. So I'm certainly taking the first-team snaps ahead of, again, those online def charts we see. And I think we've had some very real takeaways. The Corey Davis, 10, you know, 13 routes, 10 targets, absolutely absurd. And he's someone that was going, you know, just more cheap than he should be, so people are now more aware of that. The Rondale Moore usage. I think he's played 45 offensive snaps, eight targets, three carries. I was worried they were going to try to pigeonhole him into like an Andy Isabella role. No, yeah. they're using him like the way he should be used. And so.
0: critically, no longer rocking number 85. Huge. That is huge. Huge. Understood that that was a bad look, got rid of it. Now number four. Oh my god. One of the I, only
2: wide receivers I've seen that I didn't want to wear a number in the 80s. It's unbelievable. So we'll, I, I, for yeah. all the data that we collect,
0: I, I like. there it. is no
1: cornerbacks can't overcome a number in the 40s no and, God, and Rondell no. Unless, was not gonna well, overcome
0: wait them. wait uh, marlon humphrey nah, we, we got one one yeah, yeah but got. he's he's almost like a linebacker the way they use him but it, it i almost liked the idea the number in the 80s is good conceptually but somehow 85 on rondale was just wrong it didn't just work. didn't work and he understood that that's self-awareness that's that's push him up the draft board yeah Higher
2: ADP there. So, like, one example of just really knowing what to look at and what not to, Javante Williams. I mean, that first game he was throwing around Vikings defenders like they weren't even there. We know he's a great tackle breaker. I think he set our PFF record for highest, beat out Dave Montgomery for the college record. He was also splitting time at Royce Freeman with the first team (laughs) in that. Like, Melvin Gordon wasn't even there. We know he's going to be the starter. Now maybe it's a three-back committee. Got to pump the brakes a little bit on Javante. But, yeah, so, like, you know, I see Chuba Hubbard playing 27 of 28 first-team snaps. Now I feel good about putting him in more of a Mike Davis handcuff role. So, you know, don't change every single thing we've thought of uh, from, you know, March to right. Uh, July every year but again just the usage and kind of figuring out uh, what the depth chart pecking order is is by far the most important part of the preseason
1: it took five years Uh but Corey Davis I mean (laughs) this is what I envisioned
0: well if he gets a target on 77% of his routes during the regular season he'll definitely be on course to the Hall of Fame at that point
1: I envisioned a high volume you know uber plus possession type for Marcus Mariota five years ago and maybe it was just it was for Zach Wilson. And then, and, and then you
2: were ready to be out, and then he toasts Stefan Gilmore, and you're like, I'm back, yeah. and then you're in. Well, my, here's the weirdest thing
1: about Corey Davis. There's a few players whose playing style when they got to the NFL just didn't match what I anticipated. Um, Andrew Luck was actually one of these guys. I anticipated Andrew Luck to be uh, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, get rid of the ball quickly, and win with his brain type of player. And he was closer to Big Ben, where he just kind of like sat back there, took all these hits, blamed the offensive line, and made spectacular plays um playing style was completely completely different Corey davis became this like contested catch you know spectacular catch type of guy when i'm like oh i thought he was just gonna get open a lot and, and be your your high volume z receiver so every now and again i think i'm just off obviously on playing style but you you see a guy that plays in the nfl i think differently than they did
0: in college i uh, i ran the numbers just for giggles when when he start when i was writing the article about Corey davis if he matched the number of routes from last year in a low volume Titans passing attack this season with the Jets and maintained the 77% target rate, (laughs) he would get something like 236 targets of the year.
2: 236
1: targets might be valuable.
2: Yeah, it was crazy last year. I mean, PFF receiving grade, yards per catch, yards after the catch, yards per route run, Corey Davis and Julio Jones are basically the same person. Now, I know one of them is striking far more fear in opposing yeah. secondaries than the other, but, you know, hey, players can get better over time. It's legal in 2021.
1: But <laughs> even the like the point I would make, I would explain that away, too. Yeah. As much as I was a Corey Davis fan five years ago right. and expected him to be a high-volume guy, it's like, okay, play-action, heavy attack. You've yeah. got A.J. Brown on the other side. yeah. Uh, Corey Davis, I I think, has settled in as a good number two. You know, a good guy that you you put outside and he can win at the intermediate level. The
0: A.J. Brown thing, I think, is the big question. It's like, okay, you break out once teams are suddenly uh, concerning themselves with, like, a legitimate, fearsome number one on the other side. What does that look like now in New York when you're the guy, right? Where there's no – like, unless Elijah Moore is way better than people are expecting him to be, unless Denzel Mims comes back from the darkness, from the (laughs) wilderness and shows up as that number two, unless – all the attention goes to the middle of the field. Like, Corey Davis is going to have to deal with a lot more attention than he did a year ago.
2: Can we get Mims to New Orleans or somewhere? Already? Anywhere. Like, come on. God. How about Marcos, Cal-
1: Marcos Calloway, Ooh. by the way? Yeah. Also on my Championship Dynasty team, oh, by God. the way.
2: But how about, I mean, he's
1: he looks like a true number one right now. I'm all in on Callaway.
2: Well, and he's, be, he's not team. beating Scrubs. He beat yeah. freaking Shaq Griffin. I think he got Marlon Humphrey the week before. Like That's another thing uh, we're seeing. Uh, you not know, just
0: beating them, but like the way, like the first one he, 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 caught the ball essentially after taking a full speed shoulder check and the second one like Shaq Griffin had one of his arms pinned so he just caught it one-handed one handed with his left hand for a touchdown like those are insane <laughs> catches not just the fact that he was open in the first place
2: it's not Ramondre Stevenson running away from a bunch of you know future grocery right 91 <laughs> yard run
1: for Stevenson but he's also looked good of course the NFL is back that's what we're talking about here DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL is given away For all new players, a can't-miss offer for Week 1. Bet just $1 on any NFL game during the first week of the season and receive $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what. Take advantage of this limited-time offer now. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Check out all the great promotions and daily odds boosts. Plus, you can make every game a big game with same-game parlays. So right now, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use the promo code PFF to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any Week 1 game. That's it. Promo code PFF to get your free $200 bets or $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And of course, Ian, you must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. Only new customers, only new restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, one with it Almost lost it there. A little stumble in the middle there. It's... Do you need a terms and conditions guy for uh, your I podcast? thought
2: I was good at that, and then I just, now I feel bad about Okay, this. I haven't so,
1: seen your work. I've seen George's work. Uh-huh. I think George set the standard yeah, here, yeah, which yeah. is why we still use him. Here at Western and Southern.
0: Well, that's why that's why all the external ones go. It's George's <laughs> terms and conditions. Yeah, George
1: yeah. is really good. I'm just I've been working on my game here.
0: Yeah.
2: Or you can be the person that you know names all the side effects. Yes. Like on the <laughs> side the NFL <effects> guy. commercial. <laughs> do you remember Micro Machines guy? I do. do you, I forget so. it. Uh, I see,
1: there were twelve people. Right. And, and two were know. in the YouTube comments. Uh-huh. So there's, there's ten <laughs> others who re- knew my my reference the other day. What else you got, Sam? Um,
0: I like your offensive line question. You know, on this podcast, we I think probably not. Oh, not place over emphasis on it, but place a lot more emphasis on offensive lines than, you know, other places. Uh, but how much does that factor into what you're looking at in terms of fantasy stuff? Like, how much are you looking at how, how prohibitively terrible an offensive line is when you're focusing on wide receiver production, running back production, even quarterback production? Yeah.
2: Quarterbacks, I'd say it matters the most. If you're on your back, can't throw the ball. We've all seen the Joe Burrow, uh, you know, meme with that going on. Running it's back been updated. Have you seen the, the new yeah, one? So yes, yeah. now going going it's going off chase. The updated one is, is, is
0: the ball going to Jamar Chase and then hitting the ground, and then <laughs> the Panay
2: Sewell blocking and even getting killed anyway. <laughs> it good. it matters obviously matters for running backs though, but it's like we talk about you know what it matters is our ability to kind of discern how much it matters worth putting into the process because what I see a lot of people do is they. Hold it against some running backs and not others. Joe Mixon, PFF's 25th ranked offensive line. We hear all about that. Najee, 31st ranked. No one seems to care that a Christian McCaffrey has the 30th ranked or Dalvin Cook has the 27th rank. Saquon Barkley at 32nd because volume just wins out. Last year, top five PFF offensive lines in run blocking grade produced four top 24 PPR backs, the bottom five offensive lines. Also, produced four top 24 backs. Now, the bottom ones had guys like Miles Gaskin, Austin Eckler, the pass catchers. That's how these guys win because fantasy football, weird game. We reward, you know, if you just look historically, targets are worth about 2.7 times more than a rush attempt. So that's how guys make up for it. That's why we shouldn't care about it for CMC. And it's also why we shouldn't care for Mixon and Najee because they're getting the uh, targets as well. So someone like Chubb, someone like, uh, you know, Jonathan Taylor, where they're not going to have the same sort of receiving role. I'm fine baking it more into that process. Even then, though, it's more of a tiebreaker for me. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott had an amazing offensive line going into last year. By week two, all of a sudden, it was a bottom unit in the league. So if we could like accurately and confidently right. predict how good every O-line was going to be before the year, of course we go into it. But I think the volume wins out, and then our just ability to always predict it right, I think is also too faulty to put too much uh, stock behind it.
1: Yeah, because if I was going to use it, the— Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb example are the ones. I mean, the Browns have our top-graded offensive line, our top-ranked, Jonathan Taylor's number two. It's also important to differentiate between run-blocking and pass-blocking, right? Like, the Titans had a mid-level offensive line last year, but they were really high in our run-blocking grades, really low from a pass-blocking standpoint. But, yeah, Chubb and Taylor are the two guys that just come to mind as benefiting from the system plus the line being a volume guy but your point about targets being valued that much more is yeah It would
0: almost be like they would be guys to shy away from if you knew they were running behind a bad offensive line so if one of taylor or chubb was coming into the season instead of their offensive line being in the top five they were one of the worst lines in the nfl like those would be the guys to scare away from because they're not going to make it up in the pass game they're not factors there and if the line is that bad like, it's not going
2: to get better during the course of the year, but it could get worse. That's why so. I like half point perception more. To that's me, what that, I was going to ask. That yeah. makes more sense because full yeah. point, like Nick Chubb, everyone would name this dude as a top five real life running back. He's never finished better than eighth in fantasy. Wow. And that's, you know, not cool with me. But it's, again, it's the game we play. I mentioned the running quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers, either the best or second best quarterback in the league last year. Fantasy tells us he was the fourth best. So, how much, volume. Like, how tough is it to square
0: that in your brain? The idea that, you know, certainly some. Games in fantasy are so sort of far divorced from like, you know, quote unquote, real football. So you're you're looking for different things, right? You're not looking for the best players. You're looking for the guys that are going to game the system the best, the guys that just get rewarded (laughs) most efficiently in the game. Because that's always been like a thing that I've kind of battled with in terms of just personally with fantasy. It's like, I don't I don't know that I want to be chasing those guys versus just who the best players are.
2: Yeah. It comes down to volume, It's chase volume over talent, particularly at running backs. For wide receivers, tight ends, that's where, you know, all those targets are a little more volatile anyway, which just you know, you can't just hand it to the guy. So in those cases, I'm more okay trying to chase the great player, the great talent. But with these running backs, like, you know, Kareem Hunt is a, probably a top 10 running back in the league. But if you draft him as a top 10 back in fantasy, you're going to miss out because he's just not used that way.
1: Right. I think it's funny that a lot of the fantasy community is uh... – You know, aware of the concept of running backs are overrated and various things like that. But then, of course, you have to spend most of your time evaluating (laughs) running backs, right? So there is clearly a distinction between NFL team building and fantasy team building. Yeah, there's
0: something funny about like the more that the sort of analytics world and general awareness has pointed towards running backs matter less and less and less and less. Fantasy is almost in the opposite direction. Like running backs have never been more important, (sighs) particularly as the fewer of them are sort of true every down bell cow kind of running backs like those guys are the most critical thing in the league it's, it's just funny that the way they're heading in complete opposite directions
2: we're doing the draft show here and you know steve and chris and mike and all these guys are on the main stage and steelers draft naji harris and just groans from everyone <laughs> what are they doing like they ah, let's kick it over to ian i'm just ecstatic like let's go we got another three down workhorse here great day to be great
0: yeah it's like a funeral going on the main set and over there and uh Fantasy Popping land. right? the champagne. Right. He's <laughs> got the party poppers going.
1: But that's a big part of it, right? Najee's going to a place where from the top down, they're like, we got to run the ball better. And we got to run the ball better to the point that we're willing to draft a, a running back in the first round. To your point, he knows he can catch the ball. So when we are doing our evaluations on running backs, I mean, Najee looks good mm-hmm. catching the ball. We saw it the other night, 45-yarder or whatever it was, just on a, on a little check down, right? I mean, guys that can turn a check down from six yards into 40-plus yards, there's value there, and I also think the Steelers' offense, from what I've seen, there there's a difference in how running backs get targets. Right, there are schemed up targets, there are screens and you know design swings and various things like that. And then there are there's checkdown heavy offenses. You're Matt Forte. Remember Forte had like 100 catches that one year, yeah. And he was like fantasy genius and yeah. what, but he was wasn't a good running back. It was just an offense where he posted up three yards beyond the line of scrimmage and caught checkdowns. But it looks like the Steelers' offense is going to be a little bit more. Checkdown heavy than it's been. And I think that's, I think that does bode well for a guy like Najee and, and especially in uh PPR yeah. leagues. It
2: is an interesting point though, but like you don't want your offense, I think to be looking at the running back first. If he's there as your third, four, three, that's great. But I remember looking at some first read numbers with uh, Teddy Bridgewater with and without McCaffrey. Yeah. And we kind of saw the efficiency go up. And I think right. Justin Herbert was struggling with that when Eckler came back as well. So yeah, fantasy will take those checkdowns all right. day long. Certainly not best for uh, your real life offenses though.
0: That's one of the big, sort of conundrums in dealing with a player like Christian McCaffrey, right? He's unquestionably one of the most talented football players at any position in the NFL. But how do you maximize that? Because if you do start doing what you're talking about, which is start figuring out a way where he becomes the designed target in this on this play, it's just automatically less efficient, a less efficient way of moving the ball in offense. So when you start to do that, when you start to lean into that, and sort of try and justify or maximize what you what you get out of this guy who's an incredible player, it hurts, like it actually makes the offense worse overall. And I don't think teams have figured that out yet. Like if we get a guy like McCaffrey, how are we supposed to best use him? Because it feels like a waste to just say, you know, you're a regular running back, you'll catch some check downs and you'll do better with them than, you know, Gio Bernard does, right? But it, it's also clearly not the way to do it to say, well, let's start running the offense through this guy as a focal point because all the data says that actually makes the offense less efficient. So I think teams are still struggling with like what the hell that looks like. How are we supposed to make use of a guy like him?
1: How much do you look at coordinators and play calling history and strategy, whether it's, oh, they target tight ends a ton? I mean, so how much is that driven by personnel? Like, so Cam Newton targeted tight ends less than any quarterback in the league last year, right? So you would never look at the Patriots and say, well, they just don't value tight ends. Of course, never. they just. <laughs> broke the bank for two of them right they had the worst tight end situation in the league last year and that's saying a lot because there's a lot of bad tight end situations around there so how much do you look at play callers and trends and history when it comes to how they distribute touches
2: piece of the puzzle like anything i'd be careful about putting too much weight on it mistake i made last year was with uh darren waller i had him like tight end four. It wasn't like I was fading the guy completely. (laughs) But they had brought him Witten, which made no sense to me. They had Moreau, who was very solid in his rookie year. And I was just looking at some of Gruden's Raider teams, and we had, you know, Antonio Bryant, um, uh, Clayton with those Buccaneers. Like he was feeding Joe Vicious for one year, just some throwback names. These guys were getting fed targets. They draft Ruggs. They draft Edwards. And I was like, okay, I think Gruden wants to run this passing game through the wide receiver like he always did. I didn't think, which I should have, hey, maybe Gruden has never had a tight end as good as Darren Waller. And I think that's what we see a lot of these times. So just looking at the base offense, we can find some value, though, when people, I think, don't look at the bigger picture, like Kyle Shanahan and um, Andy Reid. These guys have had amazing RB1s in fantasy for the better part of the past two decades, particularly for Reid. In the last two, three years, though, it's been more of a committee system, and that has allowed guys like Raheem Mostert and Trey Sermon to now be priced outside the top 30 running backs when in past years, I mean, like Matt Breida was a top 24 back in preseason last year. Like people have just always been trying to catch up to the Devontae Freeman, the Alfred Morris, those in in Reed's case, you know, the Shady McCoy, the Brian Westbrook, all these past guys. But when they get burned for a few years, they kind of forget that's the ceiling. So now that we can get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Raheem Mostert, Trey Sermon, Closer to the floor that we've seen historically from these running backs as opposed to the ceiling, that's when I'm buying and using that information.
0: Is that a product with Shanahan in particular of just like trying to figure out which guy is going to be that? Because the problem with the Shanahan offense the last few years is that anybody you plug into it is successful. And with injuries and all those kinds of things, it's been identifying which guy is going to get the the boost and take off because of the offense.
2: Injuries have been the major part, but even with that, like Matt Breida in 2018 was their high scoring back. He finished as the RB 26. Next year, Mostert, RB 26. Jeff Wilson last year, RB 31. And that's exactly where all the running backs are being drafted right now. So maybe that continues, wouldn't be great, but we're not getting killed on the value. Or maybe Mostert and Sermon get featured and we start seeing Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman 2.0. So just, you know, yeah, I consider the wide range of outcomes. I get why their value is lower. It shouldn't be in the top 20, but I'll take advantage of it when it is as low as it is.
1: How do you handle quarterbacks for receivers? Um, Again, I think the the general football trend is to say, well, this quarterback's bad or say Allen Robinson has had, he's had a terrible quarterback situation, but there's a difference between a guy like even the worst quarterbacks aren't missing half their throws. Yeah. So you have like how do you take just quarterback aggressiveness? So like a Ryan Fitzpatrick in Washington. He's not the best quarterback in the league. He's a middle tier type of quarterback, but he's an aggressive downfield thrower. How do you, or versus Teddy Bridgewater in Denver who yeah. if he starts is he going to maximize a Cortland Sutton, a Jerry Judy? So how do you factor in quarterback, and what are you looking for from a fantasy standpoint as far as the quarterback situation for receivers?
2: As good as possible, man. That's why we're still uh, sipping the Nicole Hardman Kool-Aid despite <laughs> every you know practice route telling us otherwise because we can get Mahomes potential wide receiver too. Might be worth it. I would just say, uh, you know, in best ball, we always want to stack these guys. Again, just best possible scenario. Stack your quarterback with multiple receivers. Historically, we've seen those lineups rise to the top. fitzpatrick specifically my goodness the amount of number two contracts that dude has gotten Stevie, Marshall, uh, Devontae it's incredible and through it all I had stats like he's had 10, seven or 10 years where he's had at least 10 starts and the least amount of targets his wide receiver one has had is like 128. So Terry McLaurin, I think is absolutely going to get fed. You mentioned one of you guys mentioned earlier, like Parker, when he had yellow ball, god right. fits could yep. make that happen. So it's, you know, it's a situation where I don't think there's a one, one all be all answer to it, but yeah, it's just trying to figure out how the pieces fit uh, to the best of our ability and also just not falling, uh, you know, prey to some of these easy storyline. Sam, I know you've been a vocal supporter alongside me that no, the Browns are not better off without right. uh, Odell freaking Beckham. So realizing that, hey, even though they haven't meshed, we've still seen Baker operate at an incredibly high level twice in his career. And if we can get the best version of both those players, look the hell out.
0: Yeah, let's talk about the Browns for a second for that reason. Like Odell Beckham, hasn't worked yet within this offense. The the first year they just weren't on the same page. They they were constantly like Odell would want run one route and Baker would try and hit another and they for the entire season they just couldn't seem to get that straightened out. And then last year, you know, Odell was was certainly better than the first year. They seemed to be on the same page more, but it just wasn't working as well as we we think it should. Um then Odell goes down and that's more or less the same time when that offense started to get everything together and didn't have to face you know the Ravens and the Steelers for a while yeah. um, and we're able to kind of go on this run now we're going into this year when everything looks like it's in place right they've they've brought everybody back the offensive line is still one of the best in the NFL the system has had time to bet in they understand what they're doing now even if they face the Ravens and the Steelers I mean we saw what they did to the Steelers in, in the playoffs they seem better positioned now to be able to have this thing function against everybody. Um, And they're getting Odell Beckham back, who, you know, he's for all the injuries he's worked through, they don't feel like they should have had like a permanently debilitating effect on him. So are we expecting the Browns overall, Baker Mayfield and Odell, like all of these guys to just go through the
2: roof? Yeah, I think I am. I mean, I'm well ahead consensus on both Baker and OBJ. I don't think enough credit is given to... Maybe credit's not the right word, but this is a guy going on his third offensive system last year. No preseason. COVID's out the window. Like, yeah, it's not surprising that he started a little bit slow. And you mentioned the Ravens and Steelers games. Look at the other games. 35 points, 34, 49, 32. It's not like Beckham was the one single-handedly holding back this offense. So the one cool uh, stat I found in the situation, I just looked at what quarterbacks do without their wide receiver ones. Uh, Spoiler, Matt Ryan without Julio. Not looking good. But what I found was Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek Hill, and it's actually been a decent like, eight-game sample size, Patrick Mahomes averages .6 more yards per attempt with Tyreek Hill sidelined. Now, would anyone ever try to make the argument the Chiefs are better off with Tyreek Hill? No! So don't do it with Odell freaking Beckham on the Browns as well. But yeah, for me, I'm taking Beckham ahead of those Bengals receivers as the wide receiver. He's wide receiver 20 in my ranks. He was wide receiver 19 before he got hurt. This is a guy that was top five his entire Giants tenure, and I'm not saying he'll get back to that, but people are so scared off these last two years he's going outside the top 30. Like at the minimum
0: pretty much everybody should expect him to be better than last year when he when he was there right like even if you Again, even if you don't think he's going to get anywhere near that Giants thing, he's not going to be worse than it was last season because everything else around him is better.
2: He was being priced like he was going to get back the Giants his first and right. his second year, and now he's not. And it's the same thing with Baker, man. Like he, last year, they had that weird weather stretch. That the Raiders, the Texans, the Eagles came. It's just yeah. no snap Thank volume. You. So
1: I'm a, I'm a big weather guy. Yeah. I am a big <laughs> weather and dome guy. I, I, think it, I think it just goes, I think it just gets ignored. Far too often. And I, so now that I'm a Josh Allen apologist mm-hmm. officially.
0: Yeah. We're well, not, yeah. Let well, me let me be, just make the statement. Josh
1: Allen, from a statistical and evaluation standpoint, playing in Buffalo is working from behind. I mean, because you're talking in a 16 to now 17 game schedule. If you do have three or four weather games, that's a, it's a quarter of your schedule. It's yeah. a little bit less now. Um, but if it's a quarter of your schedule where you're dealing with wind is just as bad as rain and snow, right? If you're dealing with that, of course, it's going to have an impact on yeah. things. So Josh Allen might be working at a deficit compared to other quarterbacks, and I truly believe, you know, if you're in December and you don't have to deal with that, and you're in a dome, and you, you, it, it's it's well, it's a significant
0: was, difference. Yeah. That that's why the like Baker Mayfield season last year, the the amount of of games you could actually take anything from was so small. <laughs> that's why I think genuinely it's part of the reason that the Browns are kind of dragging their heels on this contract extension because. When you look at what, like, I was saying going into the season that, look, week one is the worst possible start for them because all the things, COVID, no preseason, new system, new, you know, everything. And you're facing the Ravens who blitz more than anybody else, who are creative with it, understand, like, what you're trying to do when they blitz and put a guy in the way. So Baker has, like, an absolute disaster and everything is a train wreck, right? Then You can't take anything from the Bengals games because they were the Bengals, right? So it's like, oh, we got back on track. It's like, well, of course you did. You faced the Bengals. Then you faced the Steelers, who were arguably the best defense in the NFL. Again, can't really take anything from that. You would expect that to, to win. And then you have that stretch of bad weather games. It's like, well, now there's weather. You can't really take anything from those games because those are weird weather games. So you end up with this run of like three games where you can glean any information whatsoever about Baker Mayfield and the Browns right. offense.
1: My concern about the OVJ stuff, and maybe it's too anecdotal, but my concern is the way they were not on the same page in 2019. It was it was pretty consistent, it was bad. And I know the whole Browns offense was bad. And then the anecdotal evidence, which is like, I remember the time, and this is where Stafford loses Calvin Johnson, right? Yeah. But you also remember that the way Stafford played with Calvin Johnson was like, I have Calvin Johnson. <laughs> I'm going to feed him. Uh, Deshaun Watson's reliance on DeAndre Hopkins early in his career. There were there were pass concepts where DeAndre Hopkins had no business getting the ball, and he still got the ball. It's like the the route versus the coverage doesn't make any sense, and Watson was still going there. But when Stafford lost Calvin Johnson, he was he, he was better at times, but his production didn't change. And then Watson lost DeAndre Hopkins, and they had a good they had a better rounded receiving core, and Watson had his best season. So that is the that is my argument against OBJ. Helping the Browns. That is my argument for maybe he would hold them back because I've seen elements of Baker feeding OBJ targets, them not being on the same page. And I saw this element of Baker adjusting to the offense with a lesser supporting cast and playing better that's just that's where i'm bringing hesitancy to the table hesitancy to the table even though overall i would say okay they should figure out a way to get yeah. obj into this offense and make the most of
2: it. that's we want the best of both worlds right i think yeah. it was after beckham got hurt baker only aaron Rodgers graded higher when targeting yeah. his first read when he knows where he's going with the ball like he's fantastic let's get an actual coverage shifter like beckham out there instead of higgins dom and people i mean they're fine receivers in their own right but you know we're moving towards like a let's surround quarterbacks or bad receivers uh argument so they can just play within the confines. Let's get Baker with the best version of OBJ going through his reads. I think we'll see something special. I do want to say, though, it's not so much fantasy related, but I'm kind of noticing this trend here with the 2018 Browns, 2019 Cardinals, 2020 Bengals. Each got their 101 quarterback, first year, eh, maybe some promise. Second year, OBJ, the Browns. Hopkins, the Cardinals, Bengals draft Chase. A lot of hype comes in. Maybe you know oversell some other roster holes uh, going on. Post hype Browns in 2020, as we saw, defense and O line were a lot better. I wonder if the 2021 Cardinals are ready to really make that jump because they again year too hype.
1: So it, t- it takes two years for the hype to to kick in.
2: Second year mm-hmm. hype, third year post hype. I think is where they go nuts. So I'm not sure yeah. what the fourth year is going to be for right. the Browns. Right, and it's, it's
0: but- also because like the third year you're coming off like the disappointment, right? Yeah. Because the Browns obviously everything fell apart, everyone got fired and now you the only way to go is up. But for the Cardinals, everyone is so down on them because of the way that season ended. Yeah. But if you actually just look at the overall, it's where they should be. Like if you reversed a year and went where would what uh, what's the Cardinals record going to be this year? What is kyler Murray going to look like at the end of this year? Like all the things it's basically exactly where it should have been. The problem is they started off hot. They beat a couple of good teams that they weren't expected to. And now expectations have gone through the roof and they failed to meet those expectations. So everyone is sort of treating this like, oh, this is just not working. Like now Cliff's under pressure and Kyler's under pressure and they got to show something. Otherwise, we're going to blow this whole thing up. But realistically, we should probably be looking at this and saying, this is, I mean, it's pretty much on track. Okay, if they don't still go forward, sure, it's still an issue, but like the 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 arrow is probably still pointing up for the cardinals even if it finished on a down note. I like it. I'm all in on the cardinals, convinced.
1: All in. Wow. Now, I mean the the, the trouble with the cardinals. By the way, I I've, I'm a big believer in the the hype comes a year later, yeah. right? Basically what what you're saying, right, is you know the browns were hyped up 2 years mm-hmm. ago and a uh, big disappointment.
2: post type bounce back.
1: Yes, post hype bounce back. The problem with the Cardinals is, man, they on paper look like the worst team in the NFC West, man, the which is really. And, but they're good. I mean, the Cardinals are good. They might be the seventh or eighth best team in the NFC and the fourth best team in the NFC West. Yeah. Just throwing random numbers out there, but it might be close. It's a juggernaut of a division. So they're they're going to beat each other up. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be tough. Let's, Let's wrap it up quickly with um, Kyler Murray because you're talking about the Cardinals and his rushing value. How much did you see his value increase last year? Because they started to tap into him in the design running game. And remember, there's a there's a difference between design runs and scrambles. And the Cardinals, I think, realized Kyler can be a weapon in the design game last year.
2: Number one fantasy quarterback ever was, in fantasy points per game, was 2019 Lamar Jackson. Right shouldn't surprise many people. Kyler, before he got his shoulder banged up last year, was on pace to beat what Lamar had brought to the table. That's how effective and good he was. And once he really had that injury, uh, you know, I equated it at the time. I got ripped by some real football people that didn't realize I was talking fantasy. But it was like when Taysom Hill came under center and stopped throwing it to Alvin Kamara. You take away Alvin's receiving ability, you take away Kyler's legs, they're a show of themselves in terms of what they bring to the table as a fantasy player. The question with Kyler is, is the guy telling the truth when he says that he wants to rely on his uh, legs less moving forward. You know, Lamar Jackson said the same thing last year. It held true until the bye week when they saw what that version of the offense looked like, and he got back to running uh, pretty quickly. So Kyler, for me, is my QB four. You'd be hard-pressed to find anyone having him lower than fifth. I still think Mahomes, Lamar, Josh Allen give you a little bit more upside, but Kyler is right there. I mean, if he finishes 101 at a QB, nobody's going to be particularly surprised. There's also, like... For as much as those quarterbacks always make
0: noises like that, hey, we want to lean more. I want to go away from that or or lean more on my arm and all those kinds of things. Like when they say that, they're talking about scrambles, not the design run part of it. Like they're not saying, oh, we went way too heavy using me in the run game. We got to go back and you know rely on the pass game and our our running backs. They're saying, you know, there's a couple plays I took off when I shouldn't have, right? And we want to be able to make that pass play. But with like what makes Lamar and Cam Newton and Kyler Murray and those guys so special is that design run game. It's not I mean the fact that they can scramble is great, but that's not what we're talking about. And here, that's so. where
1: Jalen Hurts is gonna come into. Like yeah. Jalen Hurts oh, yeah. is a good designed runner. Uh Josh Allen is rarely used as a designed runner. He's a he's an outstanding scrambler. You know, and he that's why he keeps rushing for eight plus touchdowns a year, because you know, my prediction on Allen was that he would be one of those guys that is a good fantasy quarterback would mm-hmm. put up a bunch of touchdowns but but would never achieve the level of efficiency that he did last year. So yeah. missed on that at the moment. <laughs> um, which is why we signed the Apology form. But I always thought Allen would be that perfect guy that would put up like throw for twenty six touchdowns, run for eight more, whatever it is, but you know, complete fifty eight percent of his passes and turn it over a bunch, but who cares who cares about turnovers, right? From a fantasy standpoint. Right. right. Um, but you know, his efficiency was incredible last year and he didn't lose the rushing ability or the big play that's why
2: the new hot topic and you know in running back bills land now that they have 258 million reasons to maybe protect them a little (laughs) bit more will we chill out near the goal line and get zach moss some touches we'll see
1: yeah get get zach moss the ball well ian thanks for uh Thanks for stopping by. Tell everybody where they can read all your work and uh, everything you're working on right now.
2: Good time, guys. Thanks for uh, promoting me to big leagues for a day. Yeah, PFF Fantasy Football Podcast pff.com. Had 100 articles in a 100-day series just wrap up last week, so anything you want to know about fantasy should be on that. Also just had preseason week two takeaways published. You can hear myself and Dwayne McFarlane talk about that on the Wednesday edition. Some good pods coming up. None other than Nico Collins will be appearing on the Friday edition, so looking forward to seeing how Houston, Texas, Texan's uh, training camp has been going from his point of view.
1: I want to add my Texans theory to uh, tomorrow's show, the Thursday show, okay? Because I, I think it's, I think it might be happening in the next couple. <laughs> of, I think it might be happening. Maybe Nick Casario is a secret genius. We will see. Hmm. Um, anyway, so this is our this is our new Wednesday show. Somebody asked in the YouTube comments they want times, right? We've got pretty standard times that we're going to be working with here. 7 a.m. on Mondays, mm-hmm. we'll be live. 10:30 on Thursdays, we'll yep. do that tomorrow. And then Wednesday, as of now, I think we're aiming for two o'clock, all Eastern time. Two? There was one. Or is it one? It's sometime on. we'll we'll get the we'll get the Wednesday one. This is why we're talking it out here, yeah. live on the show. Uh-huh. We'll get you a time for Wednesday. It's still yeah. a work in progress. But if you're listening to the podcast, you're getting three shows a week. Pre- you're not getting three a day like you get with Ian, but you're getting three <laughs> per week over here now with the PF NFL podcast. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. Thanks for Ian to Ian, and we'll see you guys tomorrow.